Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 19. My next guest is Samantha Lander. Samantha Lander, or Sam for short, is a St. Louis, Missouri-based single mom, personal trainer, a functional diagnostic nutritionist who DJs on the side. I don't know if she would say this, but I would definitely say she's not your traditional nutritionist. Sam used functional nutrition to heal herself from allergies, food sensitivities, hormonal imbalances, and parasites. She's also a founder of C-Fit, where she coaches people back to optimal health when they just can't quite put their finger on why they feel bad. She's also a very active person on social media, helping educate people in a fun way when it comes to being healthy. She has bi-weekly Instagram lives on all things health, wellness, and life. She has been on over 20 podcasts educating people through her own personal journey and education. However, Sam was also addicted to meth, amongst other things, and a DJ and producer and sold drugs and ended up in prison for two years. She had 13 years of sobriety and relapse, and she is now back in recovery. Take a listen. Well, hi, Sam. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So let's just get into it, shall we? Sure. So share what life was like before recovery for you. Um, so as a child, um, I feel like I had a, I had a pretty good life. I, I can't sit back and say, oh, my gosh. You know, my parents were raging alcoholics or I was abused. There was definitely a lot of emotional turmoil and abandonment and, you know, things with between my mom and I. But really, um, I was just a kid who I feel like has the ism. I'm just an addict. Um, live life to the fullest was sort of my mentality. And I had a very skewed perspective on it where it's it wasn't like go travel around the world it was like i'm gonna party as hard as i can and go crazy and be like the biggest delinquent in the world um, balls to the wall right that's sort of what i did <laughs> however i was like an elite athlete i was a state champion rower i was a state swimmer um i went to u of m for rowing um needless to say that did not last long and um but as a kid you know my high school there was a lot of drinking we had open campus mm -hmm. at a very young age i mean i think i started my first drink was in seventh grade um i got in trouble for smoking pot at, with a school trip in eighth grade so it all started really early my class was just sort of like one of those classes that was doing things early mm -hmm. so um always a blackout drinker almost from the get-go and then, um, you know, I would have times where I just wouldn't do anything and I was always able to just stop and like pursue something else in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, academically, I did really well after my freshman year. Um, I was diagnosed with, you know, depression, anxiety, all that stuff, ADD, ADHD. Um, I never took the medication for ADD. Um, I did not like the way it made me feel, um, and sort of my life went on that way, like highly functioning. And then I went through a really bad breakup in college. Um, and I think that was sort of a big turning point. I, and then I went out to LA to visit a friend 
who had just come out. And so I was surrounded by, you know, the most beautiful gay men in the world, right? <laughs> go to LA, go, go walk around West Hollywood. You guys will all know, like, there's there's our bucket. And there's, none of them are straight. So all us straight women are screwed. Um, I mean, they're all just beautiful. It's crazy. Um, and, but that was a very, that was just sort of like the party scene. Mm -hmm. It was really safe for me. Um, I, you know, tend to be very, like, I'm very sexually, I can just sort of do whatever. And it's, I never got really attached as a kid. And, mm -hmm. um, I, nobody wanted anything but to be my friend. Um, and then drugs kind of came into play and I started using meth at that point. Um, I was at Michigan, I was doing well, and um, it was sort of, um, and a lot of club drugs started then, that was sort of my thing. And But the meth was a lot of self-medicating for anxiety and ADD and ADHD. So I was able to be a highly functioning human mm -hmm. more than I was when I did it. Um, and so I didn't get that like high that I hear people talk about. Um, and it was for the first time, like, I just felt good. Like I always had stomach problems. I always suffered from fatigue, like growing up, I was kind of, I wasn't like, oh, you're diagnosed with this, but I was always sort of like sick feeling or bloated or constipated, but never, no one could ever say what it was. Um, and that's been my whole life. And, um, after I moved, so then, um, I went to LA and then I just kind of found all those drugs, found these group of people. Um, and then at that point I started bringing drugs home, shipping drugs home to college with me. Um, a lot of GHB, a lot of ecstasy, a lot of methamphetamine. Um, I'm kind of an entrepreneur at heart. So <laughs> if I see an opportunity to make money. <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, at that point, um, I had no moral compass, really. I, I just felt like if I'm not, my parents aren't paying for my drug use, then I'm okay. So I'll just sell drugs to pay for my drug use. Um, and my grades were great. And I was working, you know, like four or five jobs. I had a ton of jobs. So, um, you know, that sort of went on. I graduated college and moved right out to LA and I was supposed to work for a, a help launch a, a vodka and work with distributors out there and that sort of fell through and at that point i decided screw it i'm living in this actress's house i'm not paying rent i don't have to worry about a lot right now i'm going to become a dj because i was going to all these circuit parties which is what like the gay boys do right right um like all the clubs all you know just and i was like i want to do what they do like can you talk about control freak i was like i want to control those in my mind I'm going to be famous and I'm going to control all those people out there. Like, like that's rational. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ambitious. Yeah. Right. And I did it. I mean, I did it and I was very successful until I wasn't, I guess you could say, sure. um, the drugs progressed. Um, you know, I was always, I was doing math 24 sevens every day, seven days a week. Um, a lot of club drugs. I had a lot of great gigs, um, but I was also selling a lot of drugs. And that sort of escalated to let's just start selling a little bit to doing, okay, it's safer to sell large quantities um, to less people. And so that's kind of where the end all with that part was. And I eventually got into the straight scene um, 
and I had gotten into a really toxic relationship, super, super abusive, um, physically, mentally, you name it, all of it, um, lots of drugs and I couldn't get out. And that's, um, at this point I was just buying time. I just was like, I hope I don't die. And, um, either I'm going to, eventually I'm going to get sick and tired of being sick and tired and I'm going to be done because that's the way that I work. So I just sort of was waiting it out. Um, I stopped selling drugs, still using drugs. And then my house got raided. And so, I mean, I had so many red flags. I mean, I've overdosed, I've been arrested. I got in trouble a lot with drugs as a kid. Um, I mean, it's kind of like the list goes on. And then this was a full SWAT raid in my apartment. You would have thought the president was there. So wow. that happened. Um, so another like, okay, something's not right here. And I didn't even really, looking back, like I didn't even know what 12 steps were. I remember a friend of mine was like looking for drugs off the floor of my apartment. And I was like, what is he doing? Like, and he just looked at me and he goes, I'm a drug addict. Like I'm a drug addict. And I was like, well, Ugh. Like it was kind of like I could not even make the connection that I was a full blown oh. drug addict. I couldn't. I mean, I was in such like, well, I have an apartment, I have a job, I have money, I have a car. You know, I'm okay. Drug addicts live out of their car. They're homeless. They're shooting up heroin. That's um, not like, you. Yeah, you know, like in the movies, like what right. you see. Uh, and that was the picture that I had. And when this guy said it, I remember it was just like I was just like sick to my stomach. I was just like, what? And um, you know, some time went on, um, uh, and at that point I was pretty isolated and I, I just think I hit, I hit my bottom and my bottom, I had a lot of things. Um, I, I, that was one thing I learned is everybody's that bottom is completely different. There are right. plenty of like bi billionaires and millionaires in rehab, you know, <laughs> with everything under the sun. It's like addiction does not discriminate. It's yeah. going to go the way it goes. And um, I, that's when I decided that I kind of had enough and I, I called my parents and I asked them, I said, I think I need to go to rehab. And that was kind of like how it all began. Um, and that's where my recovery started in 2016, April 19th. I checked myself into rehab. Good God. So uh, let me back up for just a second. So <laughs> at the time, there's all these red flags as you're describing, right? And then your house gets raided with the SWAT team. So at what point did you go, well, this is fucked? Um, to rehab. I think, yeah. At that point, I think I just was like, uh, like, so that I just kept thinking like, God, I should have quit selling drugs earlier. As I was sitting on my front porch, they put like a hoodie over my head. It was so dramatic, right? <laughs> on the balcony, all the neighbors like looking and I'm like, you know, I know better. Like, this is not me. This is not right. Um, I, something's like, something's got to change. And I, then they took me in though, to the Beverly Hills station. And I remember they put me in that cell and I'm like, I'm going to be in a cement box for a very long time. And I don't like, I've never felt so like zero control, totally like okay. helpless. What is my family going to say? I don't, I don't have anything to say, but it's all my fault. You know, I did all of this. Like, I couldn't even, all that, like, defensive denial, I'm better than this, lack of humility, all went out the window. And I was like, I will bend over and say mercy at this point. I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, 
my bail was $500,000, which was insane. Um, I think cause I had seven or eight gallons of GHB in my apartment at the time. Yeah. Wow. So they didn't really know what the heck that was or what mm-hmm. they didn't really know. They just knew it was a drug that was, you know, um, but then they let me out the next day. <laughs> so oh. yeah. And I tried to get a lawyer on my own. I know that. I remember that. I remember being so paranoid that my house was bugged because they left tons of drugs in my house. Like, I don't know if they didn't find them or what. I mean, they found a lot. Right. And here I thought I quit selling drugs. There's so much shit in my apartment. <laughs> but they left a lot of stuff. I felt like someone was always following me. And I just, I think the paranoia and just like the stress, I just hit my bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, did you go to prison? Yeah. Yeah. So I got sentenced. The funny thing is, well, it's not funny, but the day day after Beverly Hills, that whole like SWAT raid LA County case, I got out and I was at my front door. Um, and I, and I remember there were two guys at my front door and I was like, Oh, you guys are back. Like, what do you like? Cause I, I mean, I, it's not, they're doing their job. I was never an asshole to them. I was Mm -hmm. like, what do you guys need? Like, and they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, and it was, so it was the Missouri federal postal investigators. And they're like, oh, we just saw that there was some activity in the area and we were going to check in. And I'm like, okay. So that's, so there was a federal case being looked into on top oh. of that. So I ended up doing, um, I got sentenced, I think six or eight months, LA County. And it was really, that's a whole story of, I don't know. I got out in 29 days, but there was a lot of weird stuff that went down. That was the most probably traumatizing, strangest experience of my life. Wow. And then I was in federal prison for two years. So what was going on for you in those two years when you were in prison? What, what thoughts would come for you and what the fuck was that like? Uh, (laughs) So I got sober before I went into any of the jail sentences. Uh And at that point, honestly, I was so fucking happy to just be sober. You Mm. could have put me anywhere. Um, It was hard, but I was on that pink cloud. My life was so bad before all of that, that Mm -hmm. it it didn't matter. Um, It was sort of, I had no kid. Um, My parents were awesome and like, they were supportive and they, you know, I worked a program and, um, you know, it was sort of like the life break I think I needed to kind of like check myself. I did, I, you know, I read, I worked my ass off. I did the drug treatment program. Mm-hmm. Right. Those days, trust me, you want to go home, but it was sort of the place I think I needed to be, um, after all the shit I went through and never learned. Like I, I, I got sober and I got rated, you know, and I probably learned then, but you know, I'm kind of stubborn. <laughs> so maybe if that was God's will for me is to just give me a little extra kick in the ass. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it sucked, but it was, I was so happy to not be where I was. So with all of this going on at, so you just decided at some point, like I need to fucking stop. Because earlier you mentioned, you know, you were waiting, period, right? Either you're going to just be done or you're going to die. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I just sort of felt like every day was just buying time. Um, I was such, I was in such a toxic relationship prior to that. And that was like this push pull dynamic that just never ended. Even when it ended, it never ended. Um, he would steal my dog. He would scream out my, my apartment window. I sold drugs. Like I couldn't get out. I called the police at least five times to get a restraining order. They did nothing. Um, I mean, one time they came and I literally had like white paint marks on my neck and like he had thrown paint all over my apartment and like a black eye and they, and there were drugs falling out of his backpack and they took his keys and told him to go for a walk. For a walk. Yeah. I mean, so this is so, so I was like, I, nobody's going to help me with this. And I was also afraid because I was, I had been selling drugs or I was selling drugs and, um, I wasn't ready to, I guess, to stop that, to save myself on that relationship. Um, and you know, I just, I just remember sitting in my apartment and I was just sort of like looking it, like shit just wasn't going anywhere. Like the DJing was happening, but like, it was a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and I couldn't really, I quit doing a lot of the drugs, but I still couldn't quit the meth. And I just sort of looked at my, and my fr oh, a friend of mine went to rehab. I think that was a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine went to rehab and I went to visit him and he's like, Sam, you should go. Like you should go. And that's when I realized like, okay, he's not at a super bottom that I thought. And I went and I ended up um, looking at my dog in my apartment one day and just looking at her and being like, should I go to treatment? And at that point she came over and put her head like right on my lap. And that's right when I called my parents. Wow. I, I have no idea. <laughs> that's what happened. Out of all the other signs going on, like this fucking downward spiral, all this shit, you're like, what? And then your dog is like, hey, yeah. what the yeah. fuck, man? And you're yeah. like, okay. I just couldn't do it anymore. I was done fighting the fight. Yeah, when you're yeah. tired, I guess you're tired. I mean, yeah. there's so many places in your story where you could have died. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I remember the first meeting I went to out of treatment, I went in. And I was looking at, you know, the LA County time and I was like, you know, I like wreckage of the past and all that shit you're talking about. And I remember some guys like, if I knew when I was using drugs that you were up selling the drugs and the quantities and the amounts that you were, I would have come in, I would have put a gun to your head and either probably shot you or robbed you and just left. And I was like, so that kind of like these things started wow. putting it in perspective. I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like I was fearless. Like, I did not think about any consequences at all at the time. And I don't know if it was, by the time I got to L.A., I was so high all the time, I didn't even think about it. I don't know. But I just, I guess I thought I was better than everyone, better than the law, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Drugs were more important than, you know, my freedom at that point. So what so. is the biggest thing you learned from that, those experiences, that downward spiral? What did you learn at that point? Um, oh my God, there's so much I've learned <laughs> I feel like over the years, just like even looking back. I mean, the biggest thing I learned like is that, you know, you have to always remember where you were so you don't fall back. You know, it's very easy once. And I remember that like, you know, once life gets going again, you start to slowly forget about all the bullshit because two mm -hmm. years, it's a long time, but it's not like, you know, I remember when people said, oh, my God, we're going to be locked down from COVID for, 
you know, two months. And I'm like, you guys are locked in your house. Like, seriously, like you're taking everything, like you take everything for granted, but it's the same thing. Like I took slowly, you start to take things for granted. So if you don't remember where you've been, I think it's something I need to always like remember on the forefront of my mind um, through everything that's been like really hard that I've had to overcome in my life. Um, you know, and then the impact of my family, that was probably the hardest part. I was okay. You know, I got sober, sorry, my dog, I got sober and my, you know, life was great after prison. Like I, I got a great job. I got six figures within a year or two. I was killing it. So, um, you know, I can't forget how it's impacted my family. I think we're still dealing with it, honestly. Uh, also. I, well, I, so I, so I had 13 years, um, sober. And then when I was having my kid, I started going through fertility treatment. And I think I, that's when I stopped sort of working a program and that obsessive compulsive thinking started again. And, um, you know, I kind of spiral, I think I just spiraled out. I think that for, I mean, I, when I looking back, like the fertility stuff was harder than, um, Sorry if there's a bunch of noise from them. The fertility stuff was harder than me going to prison. Um, I, you know, trying emotionally to or what emotionally or what was the, I guess there's just so little control and there's so much like waiting and there's really not much you can do. I went to a lot of doctors, didn't get anywhere for a long time. Um, I'm kind of a control freak. I had no control. I'm hearing that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Not um, like I, if I'm going to bleed, I'm going to bleed. I'm not, you know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I got on this thing, you know, this mission, I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to have a baby. I don't care if my relationship, my marriage is falling apart. I'm going to have a baby. And so that's where I think my blinders went on and I didn't see, okay, well maybe I shouldn't be having a baby with this person. Um, I love my child. It's the best thing that came out of my marriage for sure. I got him out of it. Um, but my, my ex, you know, and I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. We all have our shit, but he had a lot, he had 30 something years sober. He started drinking and using drugs, um, when mm -hmm. I was pregnant. And then when I had my baby, I had postpartum. I am not very maternal. I realized, I mean, I love my kid. I don't, I'm not I'm like a mom, mom. I'm not going to like quit my job and stay home all day. Right. Just not me. <laughs> and that's, I'm okay with that. Um, and then he cheated on me when my kid was seven months old. And so the drinking sort of started mm -hmm. and that sort of just like, I was coping in survival mode for a long time, like a really long time through my marriage. Was a, he, he was a compulsive liar. Mm -hmm. um, when I asked for a divorce, I said, we either quit. He quit using drugs. We quit together. We quit. We're not together. I don't really believe in that, but we stopped. We're done. Um, we, we've been in the program. We know what to do or we're getting a divorce and I got, well, I'll stop for now, but I can't guarantee. <laughs> so we all know what that means. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've been in recovery, you know what that means. You're not going to stop. And that was sort of like, okay, this isn't going to work. And so I kind of was still a functioning drinker. I never drank was sort of my thing. So I never, um, I never drank. I, I used drugs. That was a big part of it. It doesn't mean that alcohol isn't a drug or vice versa, but I was good for a while. And then, you know, I kind of stopped and then COVID hit 
and I had my kid, I remember I had my kid like full time for like a good, you know, two 15 day stents and it was raining and my kid was a lot of work and I wasn't working. So I was stressed about that. And I just sort of caved and the drinking at that point, um, was okay. And then it escalated when my ex and I had to go, we're going through a lot of shit. It was kind of like on that mode. Like if I don't have my kid, I'm going to black out because I didn't want to deal with any of my life trauma or anything. Cause I don't even know where to begin. Right. Um, you know, and I deserve this. I, I went through all this. I, you know, all the cunning about all the thoughts that tell you, you can do it. We're all happening. Um, and I was really open with my clients. Like everyone kind of knew nobody ever told me, no, I don't think you should, you know, um, so a lot of rationalization went on until I realized I sort of transferred my business to be more focused on my functional medicine. Um, I've always sort of done personal training and that, but I needed my brain <laughs> and yes. I um, was not able to drink and do that. And I couldn't stop. And I was like, Oh, okay. This is a problem. Another um, red flag. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I, I couldn't get a handle on the alcohol. It was crazy. Um, and I mean, with the drugs, I just sort of stopped. It was, I was done. Like it was easy. I hit my bottom, I guess. The alcohol just kept going back and forth and back and forth. Um, and I just knew, and slowly I just, I got back into the program. I, you know, I did what I needed to do, got back into counseling. So I'm back on the up and up, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I definitely relapsed, but I learned a lot. Like even people who have a lot of time, who, you know, you think have it together, can definitely um, fall off. You, I mean, you hear it all the time in the meetings and stuff like that. So it happened. Right. I mean, to your point, you have to keep remembering where you were. Yeah. And so tell me where humility lives with you now. Um, when it comes to all my drug use and everything that I've done, stop making me crazy. It's like always, <laughs> you want them to be quiet. They won't, you know. Um, so when it comes to my recovery and how hard and the struggle and everything, um, and my past with the drugs, I am, I feel like I'm pretty humble about it. I'll talk about it with anyone. I'm really open about it. I take full responsibility for all of it. Um, I don't really have any excuses for the drinking. I know better. And it's not like, it's, I know it's not going to solve anything. It took me a while to be actually pretty humble about mm -hmm where I really was at with the alcohol. But, um, you know, I, I think as long as I try to be honest with everything, like lately I've been doing a daily inventory. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the day, it's literally like a checklist and I go through and I'm like, okay, was I an asshole? Would I manipulate? What did I do? Cause I mean, I'm an addict. Like I can do all that stuff. I'm really good at it. I'm not gonna lie. Like I, I was a drug dealer in LA and I did all right and I'm not dead. You know, it doesn't, right. you know, I, I'm not saying I should have an ego because of it. Cause I was, I got, did get caught. Um, but you know, I think my big thing is if I'm honest and I just try to stick to my morals that I grew up with, like I had a good, like I know better with a lot of things. Um, I have a good heart at the end of the day. So I know when I'm doing something wrong. Sure. I so, don't function well. <laughs> so with all the skills you've gathered and garnered being an entrepreneur, whether that's DJing or selling, how did that translate into the work that you do now? Like, what do you do now? 
So I got out of I got out and um out of the federal situation and I had a job that was sort of waiting for me that I got while I was kind of just moved home from LA at Ann Taylor Loft and I was working there and I was sort of thinking about getting back into the music industry and then um you know it's really hard to get a job with um my charge ended up being money laundering I didn't even know what it was. I know. I saw the movie Ozark and I was like, damn. I was like, <laughs> I was like okay. I was like, wow. you think I can do that? I was like, I, <laughs> nope. <laughs> I didn't even know what it was, but it was the less, it was the, it gave me the least amount of time. I was looking at 22 to life. So Jesus. at that point, I'm good with two years or like, 27 months. Great. Yeah. Um, and if I did conspiracy, it would be like eight to nine years. So if you just hang out with a drug dealer, you get more time than the actual <laughs> drug dealer. I always tell that to my young girls who are like getting in trouble, like getting caught in a car that I used to train, like all these little like high school girls. I'd be like, listen, you're going to get in more trouble for sitting next to that guy with the drugs than the guy, you know. <laughs> um, so I ended up with money laundering. So getting a job is a shit show. I worked at Support Dogs, um, which is a program that was actually in prison that trained you to be mm -hmm. like a trainer for mm -hmm. support dogs and helper dogs. Obviously, I'm still really good at training my dog. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, <sure>. know. <laughs> I know. I mean, I could teach him how to turn light switches off if he were tall enough, but that's about <laughs> it. Um, but I got a job working at that kennel. So I just was jo getting jobs where I could. And then I decided to become a personal trainer and run my own business. Um, I was an independent contractor at a gym. My second year, I was making six figures easy. Um, I was seeing 28 people a day. It was insane. Um, it just blew up. And um, it was easy for me to run a business. Um, you know, I, I manage money really well and I'm really, really organized. I don't know that I'm super, super smart. You know, I, I, I can't sit there and be like, I was, you know, an honor student and all this. It was not, at all probably because I'm, I'm common sense. I got a lot of that yes. going for me. Um, I'm good with money and I'm really organized. And I think that's just been like, and I have like a vision and I'm going to do it. You're you know, determined. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this much. I'm going to do this. And it's like, it was the D I remember like being like, I'm going to be a famous DJ, like just thinking it. And then it just like happened. <laughs> like, okay. Wow. Um, so I, um, yeah. So it kind of stemmed over that way. I just, and I was able to just manage it really well. I, I don't know where I got the skills. I just kind of have that, I guess some people just have that entrepreneur like drive, um, like where you're just kind of like no fear of failure. Um, you know, even though I do tend to have like, I, I have moments where I have like sure. really negative self-talk where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I just want to work for the union. Like this is, it's so hard. It's so hard running a business. Um, especially as you get older, because there's, I have a kid and a lot more on the line. Right. Right. Yeah. So tell me how, um, the, you do functional diagnostic nutrition. Mm -hmm. What is that? So it's sort of, um, so it's basically what I do. I would say it's a little bit like functional medicine. Okay. Um, I cover everything. I cover nutrition, just like the basics, but I help people sort of optimize their health. So I do functional lab testing. So some of the main labs that I run will be 
like a GI panel to test for like parasites or any gut infections. I wow. do adrenals. I test all the hormones, organic acids, your brain chemistry, some neurotransmitters. I do food sensitivity testing. I can really run any lab, um, but those are sort of the main ones I run. And I try to find the root cause of whatever they're coming to me for. So I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and people who are high up in the business world and they are suffering from chronic fatigue and brain fog. Like they can't work at the level that they need to work at to be where they want to be. And they're just tired and wired and things are sort of falling apart. That's kind of like one little category. And then I have a lot of like people who come to me where they don't go to the bathroom. Like they're constipated all the time. They have chronic diarrhea. Their stomach is a mess. Mm -hmm. uh, and they've gone to all the doctors and they've been put on all the medication to band-aid all of it but then nobody's ever done the detective work to figure out sort of what the root cause of the problem is. And that's where, I, that's what I do. So your health is sort of like peeling layers of onion and I just start like peeling it away to see what's going on. And 99, probably 0.9% of my clients have some underlying gut infection. 95% have a parasite. Wow. Uh, yeah. That sounds yeah. awful. And you sort of, you know, the gut, it's the second brain. To me, That's it's the right. first brain, personally. Mm -hmm. um, you clear out the gut, you heal the gut, you get rid of everything, you balance the hormones and support the adrenals. You teach people a lot of lifestyle changes as far as like make sure you do self-care, take recovery, don't overtrain, don't spend five hours in the gym. It's really not going to get you anywhere. You're not an Olympic athlete. You know, I get some of these girl, moms that come in and they work out like every second when they don't have their kids and stuff. I'm like, you're already tired and then you're going to, stress your body out more, like do less, fix all the hormones and gut. And that's usually where they start seeing the most results. So how did that, totally not what we're wow. I mean, cause in the beginning you mentioned you had issues, yeah. right? Yeah. So is yeah. that what inspired you to, how did it find you or how did you find this? So I was, um, a trainer and I was eating right, counting calories, working out, doing all the cardio at that point I was lifting weights. I did all the things we're taught to lose weight. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like shit. Um, I was puffy. I felt like I was in someone else's body. I had chronic mm -hmm. diarrhea. I was always tired. I was gaining weight. And then, um, you know, and I'm a trainer, like I have clients getting results by like the tips that I give them in the training. Mm -hmm. Some would not at all, no matter what they did. And I'm like, something, there's something more, like there's something more to this. And it wasn't like, I've had my thyroid tested. My, my lab tests all look perfect. You know, everything was fine. And, um, you know, you just need antidepressants and birth control. I got that a lot. I've been fired by a lot of doctors. Um, yeah, it's just, and I've also been to a lot of functional practitioners and, you know, kind of, been steered the wrong way. So I, I can't sit here and say doctors are bad. You know, practitioners are bad. There's, there's, there's bad on both ends. Um, but I've learned a lot of what not to do with clients, but I was just so sick. And, um, then I started getting like my period, like all the time. Um, I felt like I had PMS like three weeks out of the month. And I was talking to a friend of mine and he's like a, another trainer. And he's like, you know, I got this guy, why don't you run a food sensitivity test? And I'm like, what's that? You know, <laughs> like, I don't know what that is. So I did, cause I, I'm like, I'm not allergic to anything. And that's what people think it is, but it's not, it's just, it's sort of like an intolerance. So mm -hmm. I ran it 
and the panel ran, it was 150 things. It's the same panel I run with my clients actually. Um, 150 things were on it. I think I probably had 50 food sensitivities. One of the worst panels I've ever seen. Within one week or so of following it, I dumped about 20 pounds of water um, just because I had so much inflammation on my body and mm. I started to feel human. Um, you know, I spent night after night crying on my bedroom floor, hopeless. Like, I don't know what to do. I, I, like, I wanted, I didn't want to kill myself, but I wanted to die. Like, I didn't know what else I could do, but I knew I was sick. And then that just went to the whole, like, I did a hormone panel. I did a GI panel. I had parasites. I had candidia. I had like it all. Um, and I slowly started to, I mean, I remember the first month on the hormone program, I quit doing all cardio. I lifted weights and that was it. Um, I slept a lot. I went on the supplements and some bioidentical hormones. And I mean, I started to feel like a real fucking human, like everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I, I mean, I lost so, I think I lost so much weight. I wasn't doing anything. I was, I was doing less than I'd ever done. Mm -hmm. You know, I was able to have a cheat meal and not be like, totally thrown off um yeah it was crazy so i was like there's something to this and i and then i you know i kind of had a roller coaster of going through stuff which is some i got food poisoning and then had like i broke up with my fiance at the same time so that kind of had like a setback i remember then but i was like i need to learn to do this for my clients this is unbelievable like this is like the hidden gem that nobody knows about and now i feel like it's more and more popular every day it's crazy i think that's amazing so what is the relationship with doing this work and your recovery um hmm. so it's pro well it's probably saved my life i will say that for me and my recovery like even though i was drinking i thank god i was doing all the other stuff to take care of myself Mm -hmm. but, um, I think that it's funny cause you, you find a lot of people in recovery that are in the health and wellness industry. It's, I don't know why maybe we can't get jobs cause we're all talent. <laughs> we have to work for ourselves. <laughs> we start our own thing. But I think when you hit such a low with the drugs and, and just, or just your health feeling so bad, um, you know, they're almost, they almost kind of go hand in hand. I mean, you do feel worse with the drug because it's, but the drugs, you know what it is. And with your health, you don't know what it is. Right. So it's almost scarier. Mm. And I think that I know that I can control that piece. So if I'm not using, um, then I, whatever's wrong with my health, you know, even I still have things, I can fix it. And then as far as my clients, a lot of them are battling food addiction you know, alcohol and they're doing all they don't know yet, but teaching them the, the importance of detoxing the body and your liver and your gallbladder and why you need your cleansing pathways to work, to function well, why you need this. It teaches them and educates them as in the long term that like, you can't keep doing this to your body or here's what's going to happen. Right. You know, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I eat clean and work out during the week and then I drink and party all weekends and then I'm going to be fine when it doesn't necessarily work that way. Um, and, you know, I talk about it in recovery, you know, when I, I think bringing that to the table in recovery, bringing my recovery tools to the table with what I do with clients. I mean, I wish everybody could do my drug treatment program that I did in prison. Like the books, sometimes I refer back and I'm like, hmm. it's like, I should all, I should just create a whole course on this and just call it mine. <laughs> well, you're living it. You know, yeah. you really are Fine. a true testament of, 
of just grit, hope, determination, brutal honesty. And do you love life right now? Do I love life? Uh, yes, I do. It's hard. <laughs> yes. But, um, you know, I, I will not lie. Getting sober this past time has been so hard for me. It's mm -hmm. just been like this, this, you know, this like I'm chasing a tail or something and then trying to manage being a mom, which I'm not the best at with a kid who has a little bit, some issues, but mm -hmm. you know, now I'm more present with my kid. I can, I like look them in the eyes. I'm mm -hmm. very, I'm, I'm working a program. I'm it's like, I got so far off that path. It's crazy. You know, I notice I am way less selfish and that's the biggest thing that I like. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to be selfish in some ways right now with my recovery. I know that, but being of service is important. You know, I chair meetings. I mm -hmm. am surrounded by all sober people. I got rid of all the toxic bullshit. Um, I um, only have, you know, healthy relationships in my life or I'm, or I don't do it. I'm able to have boundaries. Um, and I think, you know, all of this leads to a happier life and just being like, I mean, it's simple stuff. Like, being aware of like you see someone going into the grocery store and you're kind of ahead of them just step back and open the door for them like that's the kind of stuff I find myself doing a lot more of now and I wasn't I was like in here like it's all about me I was cheated on I had the divorce I had fertility oh my god I, you know and then I get like oh you're so strong you went to prison you overcame so much okay well I'm strong I'm never gonna ask for help you know uh, that mentality and so I had to be like okay I'm not that strong like <laughs> Yeah, I went through that, but now I'm dealing with like the repercussions of the trauma of that, and I haven't dealt with that, so I'm pretty freaking weak, you know. Mm -hmm. So. Well, it sounds like you're pretty fucking insightful, and more aware <laughs> now. I mean, that's all you can do. So, yeah. what would you share with people who are struggling right now, who are listening to to with their to health or their addiction? Or I think doesn't um, doesn't addiction impact health? Obviously, in your testament of yes. how that can be balanced. Oh, for sure. Um, that don't the thing is be proactive and not reactive. It's another really good thing. So you know if you foresee that there's something going on or whatever, or like why wait to quit drinking before you're out of control, or why wait till your health is really really bad. You know, your gut should tell you, like, listen to your gut. Like if things are haywire with your periods and they're not right, mm -hmm. something's going on, get a handle on it now before later. Um, and there is always light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it always gets better. Like it al almost always gets better. And I hate to even say this, like I've lost so many people to addiction mm -hmm. and there's, there's certain ones where they're, they died but their life is honestly i truly believe is probably better because just living that daily struggle of trying to be sober and not getting it and and not getting it and not getting and failing and failing and just like dying inside you're dead you know sometimes i feel like it's just maybe just going to heaven or wherever you go is better mm -hmm. you know but there's always it always gets better um you know I remember, I'll never forget spending a New Year's, one of my worst times spending a New Year's just on my bedroom floor crying, totally like, I don't even know what to do. Like, I don't even know what to do. Like, I tried it out. Like, this is after I'd run some lab tests, like, and things I just was like, everything just got thrown off again. 
I don't know what to do. And I'm just like, okay, just got to get back in it, start running some labs, start looking to see what the problem is. It does get better. And if you, if you do the work. Right. What helps you do the work? Um, asking for help. Now that shit's tough. Yeah. And for someone who is so independent, fiercely independent, such as yourself yeah. and an entrepreneur and driven, how do you get to a point to ask for help? Um, I have these low, low, low lows. And then I just have like this, okay, it's like a spiritual awakening or whatever it is. And I'm like, okay, now I got it. You know, um, it's happened with so many things in my life where I just hit massive bottoms. And then I'm like, I have a dream and I'm like, okay, I'm good. And then I'm good. So I don't know what it is for everybody else. And then I ask for help. I do know for me that I'm very alpha in a lot of things in my life. Um, you know, I'm like, you know, it's a classic, like dominant person and submissive person. I need to be submissive in some areas of my life to create balance, to be okay. Um, if work goes well, I'm thriving in every area, pretty much, um, work is my definitely top priority for me in a lot of ways. And I'm a better mom. So I had to like, kind of like realize that, but as far as you know, I know that like, I got to go to yoga and have someone tell me what to do. I got to get a therapist that's going to put me in my place and be like, no, you're a fucking idiot. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not going to work for you. Like you're, you're not right. Um, you know, I have a sponsor who is not a pushover at all. You know, she is like, I love that. I don't have to coddle you, but I do better with like, someone being mean, sort of, you know, and then they can know how to back it off. But I do better when someone can dominate me, even in relationships, if I'm with a really submissive person, like they're, you know, I meet the nicest guy, sweetest guy, all the great things. But if they are really just too sweet all the time and like super submissive, it will not work. Like I have to have like some, like for those kind of things in my life for that to work. Um, and that's what I need. I don't know what, you know, some people don't need that. Some people just need pure kindness and loving. And that's what helps them thrive. Um, but I'm too alpha. <laughs> I need someone to fucking kick my ass. <laughs> well, that probably makes you good at what you do as a personal trainer and, and doing nutrition in this way. So how can people reach you? Um, so you look you? on my web, my website. Mm -hmm. It's www.cfitpt.com. So it's S-E-E-F-I-T, not C, like the letter. And then I'm all over Instagram at cfitliving. So it's S-E-E-F-I-T and then living. Um, I am on Samantha Lander on um, Facebook, cfit on Facebook. Um, all my contacts and emails are everywhere. And if anyone's interested in, you know, optimizing their health or running some of these labs, they're figuring out, some some of their undiagnosed ailments and symptoms that nobody can figure out they can do a free discovery call with me and we can talk more about you know the, their health history and what I could maybe do for them awesome so what's next for you what's next um oof so right now I'm working on kind of setting up corporate wellness programs that are a little more in depth than just like uh, like a counting calories, tracking your steps type of thing. So a lot of corporate wellness hopefully will be rolled out soon. Um, I'm working with um, a couple companies. I do love getting health and wellness products on my, on my Instagram to do IG lives to help promote like 
really good clean products to help educate people like here's what you can get instead of having that because people just don't know um and it's getting to be where there's so many things you can do now and stay healthy like there is healthy chocolate when i started all this there wasn't a healthy chocolate ever yeah. like it all had soy and all had sugar and all had now i'm like you guys have it so easy i was like making it at home if i wanted mm -hmm. anything bad or whatever it's it's way easier um for sure that's sort of it. I mean, I, I feel like every day I have some new um, things. I'd like to really hone in on um, talking more, like lecturing, giving um, talks about what I do or about my, my past mm -hmm. and kind of what my journey, what I've been through and helping people in that way would be a really good thing. There's always a book on my list. <laughs> Got to write that book. <laughs> well, yeah. I think that's great um, because it, it has truly been a pleasure to have you here because you really kind of share how fucked it can really get but you can yeah. get through it but not just through it but you're thriving and from an a mental health place from a physical place from just better nutrition place and fitness so yeah. sam thank you again for being here yeah. i appreciate it yeah. yeah thanks for having me absolutely Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.